And we've seen through the first uh, half or so how God delivered His people as He had promised Abraham. Then we've gone through some passages about the law and the tabernacle and various things. And part of the Scriptures can be exciting when we read about God separating the Red Sea and the power of God and how God rescues His people. And we can even teach that to our children and feel very good about it. Then there comes passages that um, we just kind of pass over because it's uninteresting or we don't see the relevance in our lives because, and, and, and I don't have another name for it because other, any other name of for it still would, but we have this tendency, oh, well, it's the Old Testament, which means it's old, it's not new and improved, you know, it's, it's just a bunch of stuff. There's a passage today that I want us to go over that's exciting and is relevant to you more than you know. So we're going to talk a look, take a look because God has been telling His people, has been telling Moses, these are the ways I want you to construct the tabernacle, this place that I'm going to dwell with you, that it's going to be divided up into an outer courtyard and a holy place and a holy of holies. And He's been instructing how uh, the furniture is supposed to be placed in there and what's done to, to make it uh, consecrated. And again, there's oftentimes we think, and as the Scriptures tell us, the tabernacle was patterned after that in heaven. So I said, if no, for no other reason, that when you get to heaven, you go, that's not new, I know that, because I've seen it in the Scriptures. This is home. And so I want to talk about this exciting passage, and you find it in Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense, and you shall make it of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit, and its width a cubit. It shall be square, and its height shall be two cubits. Its horn shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with pure gold. Its top and its sides all around, and its horns, and you shall make a gold molding around for it, and you shall make two gold rings for it under its molding, and you shall make them on its two side walls on opposite sides. And they shall be for holders for poles with which to carry it. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat. For it is the, over the ark of the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it and shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer any strange incense on it on this altar or burnt offerings or meal offerings, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year, and he shall make atonement on its with the blood of the sin offering of the atonement once a year throughout all your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now isn't that exciting? 
by the looks on your faces, I don't think you get so. So let me, let me kind of explain a few things and then we'll maybe help you out a little bit. What it's saying is, is that we're going to make this altar. Now this is a one foot per one cubic representation. And you're going to place basically coal here for fire. And you're going to then place incense on it. And you're going to do this twice a day. And it's going to be in the holy place. That's that first room in, in the tabernacle. And there's going to be a veil between this altar and the Ark of the Covenant. There'll be a veil right here so that it separates the holy place from the Holy of Holies. Because you can only go into the Holy of Holies twice once a year, and only Aaron can do that. So this done daily. There's the table of showbread where they change the bread. There's the menorah where they make sure that there's sufficient oil for the burning. And then they place the incense twice, and the smoke fills the room. Okay, I see that that hasn't convinced you. So let me give you another scripture. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and earthly sanctuary. Remember, there was certain things you had to do every day. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which there was were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding of manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the great of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat but of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Did you catch that? In the actual tabernacle in heaven, there is no veil here. This altar is in the Holy of Holies in heaven. Isn't that exciting? Doesn't seem like you're all that excited. Now, let me give one little added tidbit. When Jesus died... On the cross, we are told in the temple, the veil that separated this from this was torn from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that we had access to God daily. We didn't have to wait for the chief priest, the high priest, to enter once a year. That the way was made for us to enter the Holy of Holies. Now that should be exciting. But I'll give you another scripture that maybe you see what the relevance is of a piece of wood and gold that represents something in heaven. Revelation. Everybody loves, well, yeah, everybody loves Revelation. Everybody wants to know. Everybody has an opinion on what Revelation means and all of that. If you understand this exciting stuff in the Old Testament, it will give you greater understanding of what's happening in the future. Okay. For instance, treat the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, as learning mathematics. 
You need to learn that 2 plus 2 is 4 and do addition and learn that you can do certain orders of operation and you learn subtraction and then you learn multiplication and division and then you go on and, and you learn other things. And initially, it can seem like a struggle and you start saying, well, what relevance does having this anything to do with me until you go to buy something and somebody gives you the wrong change back. And maybe addition and subtraction is something pretty important for you to understand. You might say, well, you know, I know physics and calculus and, and higher uh, concepts. And you go, great. If you don't get 2 plus 2 right in your formula, you're going to miss the moon. It takes basic knowledge in order to understand greater wisdom. The Old Testament is giving us basic knowledge so that we might understand greater wisdom. Revelation chapter 9, verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded. Now remember, there's a bunch of angels going, doing all these things. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. This altar, during Revelation, is active. Things are happening out of here, out of the temple of God. And when it talks about the gold, when you say, well, that's interesting, that's this. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Now we're going to get into some real exciting things. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down around him before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This golden bowl of sins, which is coming from this, that the angel is the prayers of the saints. Now, first off, I want you to eliminate the Catholic idea of a sainthood. A sainthood is not somebody who's done a couple of miracles and you've been dead for a period of time and we vote that, that you're a saint. The biblical definition of a saint is a called out one who has been elect by God. It's you and me. The prayers of you and me are in this golden bowl of censers. Now, further excitement. Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which is before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. This thing represents the prayers of the saints which are in the holies of holies, which means that you and I, when we pray, are in the presence of our holy God. So, there are times I know, because we've all been through it, when you say, I've prayed, and I feel like the prayers hit the ceiling. Not so. They are in the presence of a holy God. Before Him. You're not praying and no one's at home. Your prayers are going straight to the throne of God. And He's even adding more incense and more prayers so that your prayers might be more effective. Revelation, again, the book 
I think if you understood the Old Testament better, some of the things that people tell you about, well, it's really symbolic and not whatever, you start seeing, well, maybe it's really literal. And when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So in heaven, under this altar, those who have died during the tribulation are saying, God, how long are you going to be patient? These people brutalized us. They cut our heads off. They did all kinds of unspeakable things. When will it be that you will avenge us? And God speaks to them and says, hold on a little longer. Because not everyone who's going to be subject to this has been killed yet. So you see in the book of Revelation, this altar plays a significant role. It is before God. It represents the prayers of us in the presence of God. It represents those who are faithful and true, who die because of the testimony of Jesus, who dwell under that until God comes. But he doesn't leave them naked. He gives them a white robe which represents righteousness. He has made them righteous to dwell in the presence of God. They don't dwell out in the courtyard. They don't dwell out in the far districts. They don't even dwell in the holy place. They dwell in the holy of holies. Therefore, what does that have to do with you and me? Why should this day be exciting? We'll go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We are told in this passage, Jesus, and in the whole book of Hebrews, because Jesus was a greater high priest, because Jesus had a greater sacrifice, his own blood, because of who Jesus was, that he went and placed his offering upon the holy, upon the Ark of the Covenant, and sat down at the right hand of God. And because of him, he understands us. He he doesn't just tolerate us. He sympathizes with us. Which shows he's God and I'm not because I really get irritated at people. Everybody has an excuse why they do what they do. And I have an excuse for what I do and I think it's valid until I hear your excuse and I don't think it's valid because we all think our excuses are good and your excuses aren't. But Jesus sympathizes with us. But here's the exciting thing. Because of that, because of Jesus, the high priest, and because of his sacrifice, and because of his ministry, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace 
so that we may receive mercy and find help, grace to help in time of need. It doesn't say, you know, when you're having a good day and you're really being holy and righteous, God's ready to meet you. It doesn't say on Sundays when you've come to church and you've sung some worship songs and you either prayed or bowed your head while somebody was praying, that somehow God is now more accessible. He says, therefore, let us draw near to him in confidence. When the high priest who was allowed to be there, when he went to the pattern, the tabernacle, not the actual place in heaven, they put bells on his clothes. They put a robe around him so that when he went into the Holy of Holies, if God didn't accept the sacrifice, he'd kill him and they'd have to draw him back. Because you know, a dead body stinks after a year. You don't want it in there for a year, so you pull him out. So guess what? The guy who is the high priest, who has the authority, who has the ministry to go there, goes there shaking because God may not accept his sacrifice. But God has already accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And because God has accepted Jesus' sacrifice, I don't have to go there going, I wonder if he'll accept me. I wonder if he'll accept me. I go there and say, God, praise you. God, I'm thankful for what you have done. Give me courage. Give me strength to be what you want me to be. I praise you. I thank you that I'm allowed not to be way out there wondering what's going on, but I get to be here. Why? To find grace and help in time of need. God hasn't left us out there to struggle. He's there to say, I'm here to be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our prayer life is exactly that. It's not sitting in church or sitting in our car or sitting wherever we're sitting or standing wherever we're standing, praying and hoping God hears it. God hears it because it's on the altar that is in the Holy of Holies in heaven. Now our church is known as a praying church and that's good. It's not because we all get around and we pray. Because just praying does nothing except sitting around praying. But we know that God hears. And it is not the prayers that change things, it's God. But the way to communicate those things is to pray. All too often, we're kind of like our spouses. It's gift time. And you say, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, I don't care. I hate those words. Because I know I'm going to lose. Because she has something in mind that she wants. But I'm supposed to know it. Now, fortunately, God knows everything. But prayer isn't about, hey God, this is what I want. Hey God, thank you for getting it. It's about talking to Him. It's about communicating with Him. It's about having a relationship with Him. 
Again, similar, you can go, and if you're married or if you're in a family, you can be wherever you come home, and you can sit, watch the TV. You might say, hi, what's for dinner? Oh, you made my favorite meal. Thank you. Go back and watch TV. Time to go to bed. You fall asleep on the couch. Now, we all have done that. But if you do that routinely, it's not a really strong marriage. It's when you communicate, when you talk, when you know. And when you get to know each other so well, I don't necessarily have to ask what do you want for Christmas because in essence I kind of know because we've talked throughout the year. And she said, well, I like this, I would like that, and whatever. And I have now an inventory of things that I know she wants because we have communicated. And sometimes you get so comfortable because you have communicated that you can also do the unspeakable. You can just be with each other. You're with that person not for what they do, but just who they are. And that should be our relationship with God. Yes, He can give us stuff. And yes, He can deliver us. And yes, He can be the great Santa Claus in the sky. But you know, because of who He is, it's just great to hang out with Him. And to pray. And to be there. And to be in His presence. And He has made a way for us to do that. So yes, when we read about the physical thing, this is made of plywood and gold paint. Really poor representation of the actual thing. The actual thing, made out of acacia wood and genuine gold. I bet pretty uh, an awesome thing to behold. But even the thing made of gold and acacia wood pales into comparison to the actual altar in heaven. The one that we see in the book of Revelation that tells us that our prayers and our suffering go before God. It's not that He created us and went away and someday He'll come back again. He is actively involved in our lives and wants to hear what his children say. So much so, he doesn't send an angel to communicate what that is. Your prayers and my prayers go before his throne. And the angels then wave it around. The purpose of this altar was to do a few things. One, by burning of the incense, it created a cloud which represented the glory of God. It also provided a particular smell to say that this is what God is doing. Think about it. Your prayers in heaven, being incense, representing the glory of God. That's kind of exciting. It's kind of wonderful.
So my goal, and I'll tell you my goal for this message today. Goal number one, I want you to see just how much your prayers can be effective and what they're for and where they go. They don't go to the ceiling. They don't go to um, Western Union. They go before the Holy of Holies. And that we are told we can go there with boldness, with confidence. Because Jesus sympathizes. He knows we're about flesh. And the second thing I want you to understand is maybe sometimes when you're reading through the Old Testament, there might be some understanding there that will actually cause you to understand the New Testament better. But even better than that, that might actually represent to you what God is doing. Isn't that great? You don't have to keep saying, as children do when we're traveling someplace, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So often, we are so anxious for the Lord to come back. We keep going, you coming back yet? You coming back yet? You coming back yet? You coming back yet? Rather than being in His presence, rather than seeing His Word and understanding what it says, that it's relevant to today. And even, yes, the Old Testament might give us some wisdom and understanding to help us understand we're not there yet. But this thing is for sure. He will get us there. And so, church, there are some exciting passages in the Scripture that sometimes on its face, unless you do a little more digging, doesn't seem to be so exciting, but instead boring. It's kind of like learning to do two plus two. It gets a little monotonous after a while. But the Word of God has given us foundation and building materials and stones to continue to build upon our understanding of who He is and our relationship to Him. Yes, it's wonderful. And everybody talks about the veil being torn from the top to the bottom and the access. And sometimes we think, well, someday we'll be there. Today, if you have prayed. Today, if you decide to pray. It's not someday you'll be there. Your prayers are there. And all God's people said. I'm going to ask the, the band to come and we're going to say, sing, Draw Me Close. Because here's the deal. Even though we have been given access to go boldly, we still sometimes feel unworthy. And so we're going to ask God, God, draw me close that I might feel I can enter into that holy of holies where you are. Not because of me, but because of who you are. Let's pray.